0: You call that noise? The XTC podcast.
1: What do you call that noise? What do you call that noise?
0: Science friction is burning our fingers this month as we look into the job of the record company archivist. Hello again, I'm Mark Fisher, and in this month's episode of What Do You Call That Noise? The XDC podcast, we'll be hearing from Jason Rapantis, who manages the archives at Universal Music Group. It was his job to dig out the original tapes of the Big Express for the recent Stephen Wilson 5.1 Atmos remix, as well as to locate the original recordings of the 3D EP, which has just been released in limited edition vinyl. Shall we have some music first? Of course we should. Each month, we like to hear the noise that you've been making that connects in some way to XTC. Michael Casey, a previous guest on the podcast, has just released a four-track EP called Something Left Worth Saving, and here he is to tell us about a song called Forever Changed. What do you call that noise?
2: Hello, this is Michael, also known as Junglefish. although some of you might remember me as Mick the guitar player in Ecstatic the original and best, some might say, XTC tribute band from the mid-2000s. And if you do remember me, hello, hi, hope you're all well, I miss you all terribly. And if you don't remember me, or you weren't there, or you weren't even born, well, hi anyway. So, I still write and record music, and I recently released a four-track EP called Something Left Worth Saving. And as a songwriter, I don't think that one ever really sets out to write a song that sounds like this or is in the style of that. But I also think we can't help but wear our influences very much on our sleeves. And I've been listening to XTC since 1978. So there was always bound to be something popping out somewhere. And in this track that Mark's about to play, I've been told you might find the guitar picking style a bit familiar or maybe you won't and yeah, that's the beauty of music so anyway the track is called Forever Changed Uh, it features my good friend Fleur on vocals the ever wonderful string quartet The Jungle Strings and if you like it, you can find me on Spotify, Bandcamp and all the other disreputable streaming platforms just search for Junglefish. and that's it, hope you like it bye everyone and I remain ecstatically yours. So much for pillow talk. I've never seen you smile that way before. And it's nobody's fault. If dark seems to be light and less it means more. After all that we've been through, you still find Taste of your kiss, I feel your
1: strength to my fingertips forever. Taste after this,
2: riding through the rain. way too fast but just to get to you walking through that snow my hands had never felt so cold before song on my lips and the taste of your kiss I feel your strength till my fingertips forever change after this I got your song Of your kiss, feel
1: your strength to my fingertips forever change.
0: Thank you very much Michael I'll include a link to the music of Junglefish in the podcast information. And while we're enjoying a nights in shining karma vibe let me remind you that this podcast could not happen without the nights in shining karma and other wonderful supporters on Patreon. If you're looking for a New Year's resolution, how about popping over to patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher and joining them. It would be fantastic if you could show your support. And if you opt to be a knight in shining karma, I'll read out your name at the end of each episode. A reminder that uh, you can buy your copy of What Do You Call That Noise? and XTC Discovery book at XTCLimelight.com, where you'll also find details of all the podcasts. What? Do
1: you call that noise?
0: We couldn't let this episode go by without paying tribute to Wes Long, a longtime time XTC fan who very, very sadly died at the start of December. Uh, I didn't really know Wes, but he was someone who seemed to be ever-present on social media and we occasionally did correspond and, and I remember actually being so impressed with his Optimism's Flames website that I that I gave him a couple of XTC scrapbooks at a point when I was downsizing. I think I slightly did re- re- <laughs> regret doing that uh, eventually but I'm very glad that they went to a good home. Um and um if you check out your copy of Fuzzy Warbles of course you'll be able to hear Andy Partridge's song for Wes Long. So um uh, he he had a, a a nice relationship with with Andy. Um and someone who knew knew him better than I did was Todd Bernhardt who is with me now. Hello Todd. Uh, thanks for joining me. We, what did Wes mean to you?
1: Of course, thanks for asking Mark. Um Yeah, it was uh, very upsetting news um, when I read about Wes's passing. Um, Wes, I first met Wes on the Chalk Hills Listserv, I believe, back when it was just an internet newsletter that was sent back and forth to people. Um, He was one of the early pioneers in trying to get the word out about the band Uh, John Ralph, of course, had created the Chalkhills.org website. I was doing my little bit on MySpace, uh, talking to guys in the band. You were doing your thing. And Wes was the one who kind of took advantage of the latest technology at the time anyway to um, pull together the Optimism's Flames website that was quite multimedia-rich especially for the time, to the point where uh, it had an an entry page where there was a little bit of a warning about how you needed to have a pretty good connection and a high-resolution monitor to be able to fully benefit from the website. Um, And um, so a lot of people would look at it while they were at work. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Because
1: otherwise, people had dial-up connections and it wouldn't work particularly well. But it was really a labor of love. And he was... um, (sighs) He loved the band. He loved life. Uh, he was a lovely guy. He, he just had so much enthusiasm. Um, he and I actually uh, became close. I, I actually never met him in person, much to my regret, but we corresponded so frequently. We spoke on the phone. Uh, we were even going through some relationship problems at the same time and kind of commiserated there. Uh, he found the love of his life uh, right around the time that I found the love of my life. Um, we went through divorces at around the same time, uh, but none of that got in his way. He always had a positive attitude. Um, like all of us, the, the people that I had mentioned, you, John, me, some others, um, he just loved XTC and 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 the music and uh, was thrilled that he had gotten to the point where he had gotten to know Andy and was able to send him toys every once in a while. And they really, they bonded, I think, over that, um, you know, Andy's love of toy soldiers, of course, and all things mechanical. Um, and so, uh, besides that, he worked with Dave Gregory to host on the Optimism's Flames website, the most complete list of XTC gigs that I've seen. Uh, it came directly from Dave. Um, and then he had a lot of photos of the band. Uh, he had audio files. I even did a silly little interview with uh, Ian Gregory, uh, and he was in character as E-I-E-I EI Owen. <laughs> uh, and I asked him the most psychedelic questions I could think of, or at least he gave the most psychedelic answers he could think of. And I was playing with his voice in the you know crude audio software I had at the time. But, of course, Optimism's Flames website was the website for that kind of file at that time, um, because everything else was pretty much flat. And, uh, that's back when the the internet was read and not watched as it is now. But, um, you know, as again, as I said before, it's, it's, I was really sad to hear of his passing. Uh, he was a great guy. Uh, I'm talking to some people now about, uh, seeing if we can figure out how to make sure that the website remains online. We want to make sure that it doesn't, the registration doesn't expire. Uh, And, um, you know, we'll make sure that that happens so that his legacy remains out there
0: that's fantastic that you're doing that and all of the things that you're saying were, were striking so many bells with me that whole idea that i remember it well that 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 the internet was at such a point where somebody doing something imaginative and and creative and, and as beautiful as the optimisms flames website was was really unusual and and did uh take up a lot of bandwidth and it was a sort of big deal that it that that he was doing that and like you i still on a you know because <laughs> because of my uh, role in in the center of the xcc universe i'm still referring back to that live uh, list of, of 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 gigs because it yeah. is um th- there are some glitches i think early on in the um in the running order the pre dave gregory things but it's immaculate after that and um todd um i, I know that andy partridge himself was was uh, v- uh, very sad to hear about wes's death um could you could, could, could you tell us what uh, Andy said about that?
1: I can. He um, Actually, you and I were both writing to him. And, um, you know, in, in the email where he told us what he was thinking, he said, Wes brought me a lot of joy. He was an exceptionally generous fellow, and we shared a mutual love for old American toys. What a thoughtful man he was, always giving. And um, that... Is right in line with my experience of Wes, um, and I'm not alone in that. I know I've heard the same thing from other people. Uh, people who have been grieving together and, and leaving thoughts and memories on Facebook have said very much the same thing. Um, so, you know, my thoughts go out to his uh, loved ones, uh, his fiance Chesney, his kids, uh, all the other friends and family that he left behind and uh we'll continue to remember him and, and thank you for making this part of your podcast
0: oh you're very very welcome i'm very very pleased to do it and it's it's um it it's it it is a sad loss and yeah i just second your commiserations to all of those who've who've who, who've lost him um and and that's just fantastic as well that you're trying to keep the Optimisms Flames website there, not only because it's a good resource, but also it's a tremendous tribute to, to him and, and what he did. So Exactly. It was much. such
1: a labor of love on his yeah. part. It took him a long time to develop that. It mm. wasn't easy to do back then. So yeah, we should try to make sure that it sticks around sticks around. What? Do you call that noise?
0: So we've got a very interesting conversation ahead with me and uh, John Jacks, who was last with the XDC podcast talking about the Big Express. Hello, John. Good to see you again. Lovely to see you again, Mark. Pretty much through John, we have invited a very ex- uh, exceptionally exciting guest onto the program today. He's he's sort of the Indiana Jones of the XDC world. I'm going to call him because he's a, a researcher who looks into and digs out hard to find music that's got lost in the archives. Um, His name is Jason Rapantis, and he is the manager of archives and asset management at the Universal Music Group. Hello, Jason. It's great for you to join us. Thank you very much for that. How are you doing?
3: Uh, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Jason, um, it sounds like a, a brilliant
4: job that you have, one that many fans would give their eye teeth for, what is what's the skill set that you brought from a previous career um you know was it from the archive world or the IT world or you know what 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 does one need to do such a fantastic job uh,
3: well i i do have so uh, after graduating from high school i um i did briefly go to university for computer engineering but then i decided that wasn't for me so i um I joined the Merchant Marine Academy so I I started um, sailing and working on merchant in the merchant navy industry. Uh, after I graduated from that, I had good enough grades to um, pursue a master's degree in uh, maritime finance which brought me to Kenley Business School which is in the University of Reading. And after I graduated from that, I Started working in the maritime finance sector, companies that own, that own fleet, that carry uh, cargo around the world, freight trading. And, um, but I've, I've been a music fan all my life. I just uh, couldn't see myself being in London. I was working in London for a ship owner and I had the opportunity to just in between leaving that job and, and getting another job. Just try the Universal Music Archive position. I really clicked with that job. And 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 of course the job changed as the the streaming uh became so much more popular, especially during COVID, and then you had all the social media. There's there's no more old music. A song from the sixties can become viral tomorrow. So there's going to be huge demand for it. Maybe maybe it popped up on a video or social media and so the archive of a record label is, there's a lot more interest to it than, you know, let's say 10 years ago, when there was no social media, there was no streaming. Uh, but, but yeah, my background is different. I, I don't know what kind of skill set, except being a big music fan. <laughs>
1: Well,
4: it, it sounds like knowing where your your assets are and your fleets are, and attention to detail, and finding those finding those pieces of information and collecting it in a in a logical logical way, may be the thing that you ha- that both roles have in common.
3: Yeah, yeah. I did spend my last job before Universal. I spent quite a bit of time going through charter party terms when it comes to freight uh, trade agreements. So maybe that's where I got my attention to detail uh, skills.
0: <laughs> I'm interested, when you introduce yourself to people at parties or, or you know, strangers on a train, how do you describe your job?
3: In this day and age where so many things are digital, it's hard to put the archives in context sometimes, but uh, we, we try to explain it to people as um, trying to find the best source, audio or video, for uh, a project. Uh, it could be a reissue, it could be a... A restoration uh, in 4K. It could be uh, looking for something that's never been released. It could be loss of rights. Uh, an artist uh, has signed a new deal, so the the physical items need to move from one archive to to the other. And not everything is digital. Uh, people have a different connection these days to the digital, uh, to the streaming and the digital version of uh, music, but a lot of recordings um, from the 50s 60s 70s uh, they exist on analog tape and there is a big archive all record labels have one and every time something is needed uh, someone has to go look for the best solution for for the project this is pretty pretty much what we do there in the archives and and there's a team in the U.S., there's a team in the U.K., and we all work on, on different projects depending on what the
0: request is about. Maybe this is a naive image in my head of a sort of vast warehouse or a vast library where all of these tapes are neatly ordered from A for ABC to X to XTC, and you just go along the shelf and find it. But uh, where, I'm sure that's wrong. Where are you actually looking? Where, where, is the, where are these physical things?
3: Right. Okay so there is there is, absolutely there is a huge facility and it's custom built to preserve sensitive assets as far as security temperature all kinds of safety precautions that uh, I'm not an expert on but I I have seen it and I I've worked in it for for a period of time but nowadays we work mostly uh, either from the office and either remotely. And whenever we need something, we can request a scan. You wouldn't have just anyone walking into this facility browsing the shelves, right? Uh, it just wouldn't be safe. And there's dedicated personnel. And we work with a company that uh, looks after archives and, and, and document security. and And they would pick something up from the shelf. They would scan it and they would just send us a digital file of what this item is. Now, each item that is in this vault uh, has a unique barcode, which is how we search for items, which is we use a database, which is how we request a scan of this item or how we would um, uh, request to retrieve this this tape. Because if it's a tape we need to, uh, let's say, transfer, We need to uh, bring it up from the vault. We'll take it to uh, the Abbey Road engineers that we work with. They'll work on the tape and and digitize it, basically, and and provide us with a higher-resolution audio file that we can then use for the next stage of the project, whatever that project may be.
0: How often does it happen that the tapes that you expect to be there are not there?
3: Not very often. I would say the majority of the times, we do find what we're we're looking for. Going back to the 50s, 60s, again, 70s, 80s, you would see every tape. It had a little card in it. uh, And every time someone would pull the tape from the shelf, they would stamp the card with a date, right? So it was a very complicated thing to borrow something from the archive, uh, it, it was an analog procedure, to use a, a music there, uh, But nowadays, with, with, with technology and, and the systems that we use and, and uh, what, what you can do with data and, and, and databases, uh, it has improved massively and, and we have great tools to work with, which is why we're able to find what we need, find the best solution we need to, to create something that people can enjoy.
4: I'm conscious how many labels Universal work with. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of labels, and I guess it means you're piecing together archives from you know in different parts of the world, in different conditions, that you know different systems and processes that might have been looked after. How do you like start to collate, say, a a new acquisition of a label and their their back catalogue?
3: Very good question. We do work on the archives of different labels, and every label even though everything is located in one place these days, uh, as far as the UK archive is concerned, everything is in London. And uh, the same goes for the German archive. We also facilitate requests for German repertoire, Dutch, Uh, we have a lot of uh, analog assets from uh, Dutch artists. So, uh, and and then at the same time, we also uh, work on requests To to service labels, different labels, DECA, Island, Polydor, and so on and so forth. Every archive has a different uh, background story. So you approach uh, searching for an asset of that label, of that archive, in a different way. We do use the same tools for everything, but there is a little bit of specialized knowledge, maybe I, I should say, because. When you're looking for a tape from the a recording from the 1950s, let's say, uh, I, I recently I had the pleasure of working on a project, uh, War Requiem, uh, Benjamin Britten's masterpiece. I, I think it's a masterpiece. Uh, Decca is reissuing it on, on a very um, special three vinyl box set with, with a beautiful booklet. It just looks amazing. I, I'm I'm I was so lucky to be involved in this. When you're looking for tapes of that era you you have to approach it in a different way than let's say when you're looking for something that was recorded on a hard drive in the 2000s and or maybe in the early 2000s it was backed up on on dvdrs or cdrs everything is in the same vault and everything has a unique barcode and when we're looking for it and but there may be uh, certain tricks or certain specific knowledge that one has to familiarize themselves with it as you're doing this job, and then uh, over the course of time, you you learn to apply it and do your best in, in finding what 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 is needed.
0: Is there the equivalent of those stories that you hear from the world of television? So the BBC will, particularly when there was live broadcasts, and they'll. They'll admit that in the 1960s, the, you know, the major programs, Doctor Who or whatever, will suddenly have uh, just not exist because they taped over whatever tapes were made or the tapes never existed in the first place. Is there, is there the musical equivalent to that, that people in the past have just not been very careful about what they they did with the tapes or because the way that you're describing it, it sounds more um, more organized.
3: <laughs> um honestly, Mark, it's a a case by case. Um, That's just an assumption, which is a dangerous thing to do. But it it all came down to whoever was on the job at that particular moment in the 80s, 70s, 60s, 90s, 2000s. There is a bit of coincidence or or bad or good luck. But it's fair to say that there's always been a system and it's always been organized. As I said, they used to have tape cards, and I, I, I still see them to this day, and you can see all the dates throughout the decades, all the times that the tape was pulled. So someone was, was, was keeping a record and making sure this tape you know, goes back to the vault once the engineer or the studio is done with it. Having said that, and I think this is a point we need to, to, to touch upon, uh, there are tapes in that are as we speak they're sitting somewhere in a private collection there's there's master tapes out there and uh, someone has them in, in their collection and they're, they're, or maybe they, they're in storage somewhere and unfortunately or they show up on eBay or other websites auction websites I I cannot speak about the ownership of the master tapes that that's not something I am familiar with I'm not a lawyer but Tapes deteriorate and they need to be stored in a, in a very delicate environment where you can control the temperature. And at the end of the day, what, what is important is what is the audio that's on the tapes. And that's what you can make something out of and people can enjoy. So I can see why someone would be uh, connected to the physical item and and would really want to have this piece of, of of memorabilia because that's what it is at the end of the day uh, on their shelf. But I I urge them to reconsider and 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 do something with it. And I, I no one is is getting any younger. And the audio for these tapes should be transferred and uh, at least keep a digital backup and uh, or even contact the band, contact the label. Come forward. There's no point in, in keeping these tapes uh, a secret uh, for, for for someone to admire in a private space, I think.
0: That's reminded me that your job has two aspects. One is finding the tapes in the first place, which sounds to me like quite a complicated thing. But if if, as you say, it's relatively organized in terms of barcodes and all the rest of it, then maybe that's not too difficult. But having found the tapes... You then have to say, well, are they any good? <laughs> can I, what can I do with these things?
3: Right, analog tape. Uh, it is sensitive. I'm not a, an expert or uh, by, by any terms of the imagination, but from having dealt with different requests and, and scenarios and different tapes, and worked with engineers that transferred them for many years, pretty much I would say nine out of ten times we, we can work with the way the technology has has a. Uh, Improved and uh, the machinery that is out there and uh, the, the equipment and it is possible to to transfer tapes even going back to the 50s. As I said, tech I work on a lot of projects for DECA Records. A lot of classical uh, music that was recorded back then, and we still work with the tapes. Obviously, if there is a previous transfer, we would rather much rather use that than having to retransfer the tape. But as far as tapes from the 80s and 90s, or you know, 70s, it's, it's fair to say that um, it's possible. It's it's absolutely possible to work with them.
0: I'm interested to hear specific examples. And before we forget, it would be good for you to uh, give us an insight into the one that you've just been working on. And I'll let you tell us what it is.
3: There's going to be a reissue of a very important XTC release. Uh, it's the 3 db It's been quite a few years since it's been released as a standalone vinyl. And why this release is important, because it came straight from the master tapes. So this cut was done using 24 bit, 192 kilohertz WAV transfers from the original master tapes. So this is as good as a vinyl cut can get, in my opinion. It's going to sound amazing. The resolution that, that we used was pretty high and um it's hard to pick your battles in, the, in this day and age or on what to buy if you already own uh an album on several formats but i think it's worth it <laughs> i'm looking forward to it
4: i have to fight those battles all the time jason but i think you've <laughs> made a very very good case for that one but I mean, on the subject of music quality and and hearing music with fresh ears and the and the value that sort of some of the technology brings. I mean, certainly, I'm I'm sort of fairly obsessed with Dolby Atmos and what Dolby Atmos can do to transform like the listening quality of of, a, of an experience I've known for decades often, but to hear that quality. I mean, what's your view on? Um, on Dolby Atmos, and I, I know we've talked a bit about the Big Express and how, what a revelation that's been. Um, but the 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 need for the to find the the master tapes must have like changed your your you know the 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 the, uh, the, the downward pressure on you know onto finding those sources like tremendously. Again,
3: through my job, I've been lucky to work on on, on quite a few um, Atmos projects. I'm a big fan of Dolby Atmos. I think it has the potential to unlock a hidden dimension that an album, unfortunately, I've only, I I missed, I I did not know of the L Acoustics event that was for the Big Express. I found that afterwards. But I was very lucky to be invited when Stephen Wilson had a few uh, playbacks done at the same studio for the Harmony Codex I got to experience that and it was amazing. It's mind blowing. It's a prime example of how immersive music composition by design can change the way you enjoy music. Because uh, let's say I've never experienced Atmos. I'm not interested in it. I'm I'm just gonna buy the Harmon Codex on double vinyl. I'm gonna listen to it. I'm going to enjoy it. There's so much more to enjoy just by, by playing it uh, using a soundbar, Atmos soundbar and a subwoofer, you can just have that in, in your space. And you're going to experience the Big Express, Harmony Codex, ABC's Lexicon of Love I, I, I've worked on, Kiss, Creatures of the Night, and a few others. You are going to experience something different. The stereo version is fine. It's always going to be there for you. Uh, you can always go back to it, but give Atmos a chance, and you just might find that the immersive audio can put you in a different state of mind that you will be able to enjoy music in a different way that you've had that you, you you've been enjoying it all these years before
4: you talked about i mean the ABC lexicon of love is a special as a special experience yesterday i heard about non-stop erotic cabaret from soft Cell. that's now like on the production line but i mean that but that point about from an industry perspective and we're in your role are you finding there's much more interest coming for the opportunity to find sort of those classic pieces and to you know to work with specialists to create that immersive experience like Stephen wilson
3: I actually worked on finding the the, the multitracks for nonstop erotic cover. I did not know that, um, so that I'm looking forward to uh, listening to that. That's great. Uh, a few months ago, again, uh, David Kosten, who did um, who Atmos remixed uh, Tubular Bells, uh, kindly invited me over to the the, the Soho uh, Dolby Theater to listen to it there and again it, it just blew my mind i've listened to that album many times it's one of my favorite albums the experience i had uh listening to it in atmos it was completely different it was as if i was listening to it for the first time i think it's atmos is here to stay it's it's only a matter of people people i i've, I've i'm seeing it being embraced more and more every year so I've seen it more this year than last year. Last year was more than the year before and and there's a reason for that, and the reason is that people who do give it a chance they they get hooked. I was the same way. I was reluctant in the beginning until I tried it, and then i now i'm I'm looking for it
0: <laughs> I'm impressed by the approach that you are expressing in the way that you're talking Jason about uh the work you do is that you in the sense that you know, you could say, oh, I'm an archivist and I spend all my time finding these things and I find them and I send them, I give them to somebody else and that's the end of it. But actually, you're talking like a music fan. <laughs> you're talking about somebody who cares about music and listens to music and enjoys music. Uh, uh, is that an important part of the job?
3: I, I am a big fan of music. I am I am a fan of first of and foremost, and, and then I try to serve the music and the artist and, and, the, and what I do for a living. Is it an important, I th- I think it's important. I think it's, music is a great, what a great way to connect over something, right? What a way to bond, music. We've never met before, and now we're talking about music and XTC, and we, we bonded over something that um, we, we both like, XTC, and I think it's important to be a fan of music. If you're if you if you're going to work in the music industry, if if, uh, if you're going to be a musician, if you're going to be a professional musician is it a, is it a job sure it is a job so you, you have to be professional and, and 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 do certain things that are expected of you but being a fan and realizing that you're creating something that other people are going to enjoy because let's face it you go into someone's house and you see a huge vinyl collection all right uh, and <laughs> they've they've clearly made an investment there and they've spent a lot of money and it's i see something that is amazing someone else might see something that wow why Why do you have all this vinyl here what, what are, you, are you gonna what, what's what's the purpose luckily most people get it i think i think that otherwise music wouldn't have been around for centuries and centuries but um I think it is important, and I grew up as a musician, I started to play drums at a young age. I was always around music, always listening to music, always buying music, going to shows, still do to this day. My background is not in music, I I had a different career, I I, I didn't study music, and then I decided to put that on the side, and I'm just going to try this job at Universal Music, because music is my passion. And if it doesn't work out, I can always go back to what I was doing before uh but I have to give this a chance it's uh, I just have to <laughs> that's that's what a music fan is. You have to go out and explore and 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 see what it's like otherwise
4: speaking as another particularly n x d c fan jason i'm so so glad that you did because. I mean, uh, Mark referred to you as Indiana Jones, but for, for many of us, you know, what you've achieved and through your work, you know, you've, you've become an absolute hero in the ability to open up, you know, particularly like an album that, you know, so mixed, you know, appreciation as the busy, Big Express, but to hear it in its, in its full scope. Um, just on the question of music fans, I mean, I'm very, very conscious having been to, been lucky enough to go to the the playback event at L Acoustics where Stephen and Dave Gregory and Pete Phipps were present, um, and where you know you're, you know Julie and and Stephen mentioned you by name as as the hero who we should know, and hence why you're here. But um, there was there was some mention that um, part of how that came together, the project came together, was a a chance discussion or meeting that you had with Stephen um something about you know meeting at a chelsea or something anyway some because it's that that sense of the the unique fate elements as well as the the science and the systems
3: so uh, i uh, first um got in touch with Stephen when i started working on abc's lexicon of love finding the the tracks for that i think that was around 2020 i think maybe uh, I'm a big fan of his music uh, and, and everything he's done. And, and w- once we finished with the uh, ABC, um, at, at some point later, we um, I, I don't remember who exactly brought us in touch again, or maybe Stephen got in touch or he had started working on, on on XTC and he was looking for the big express tapes, uh, which is, I, I, I went back to the archive and I started looking at tapes and putting the session together, um, trying to match uh, the studios and the, the dates, and then we had those tapes transferred, and, and Stephen worked from the files. That they're all multi-track recordings of this and he recreated. He worked his magic, and he recreated it. Atmos was a game changer for the Big Express because it just revealed so much more that was there, and you could not necessarily pick them up when listening to it in stereo. My favorite album, my favorite ecstasy album is Mamma, which unfortunately hasn't been done uh, in Atmos yet. But after the Big Express was done, it was such a game changer for me that I went back and listened to um, The Black Sea, Skylarking, Drums and Wires. I listened to everything in Atmos that is available in Atmos. I still think the Big Express is, is special. I, I don't know if other people share this opinion, but I think it just changed. It just added so much. The, uh, the Dolby Atmos uh, treatment added so much to this album. And I think it can happen. Some Such thing can happen sometimes for specific albums. Uh, you might find things, listen to things that were not there in the beginning just because there was no space back when they remixed it in in the 80s you know and and when they mastered it so now stephen uh, did an amazing job uh, unlocking all this all these elements and and presenting them for someone to enjoy
0: i'm intrigued because you just mentioned mama (coughs) as an album that, that the tapes haven't been found for um for a long time the the official word was that nobody knew where the tapes for for the Big Express were. I think because it's part of your job, you, you're taking it quite casually. Oh, I just got in touch with those people, or I checked that studio, or whatever. But what what specifically do you have to do to find those tapes that previously people said we don't know where these things are?
3: Honestly, Mark, I I, I don't know why people would say that. It's um, it's just um. Uh, It was was nothing, maybe it's because I do this every day for, I've been doing this, but it's just a straightforward job that um, we browse an archive and we try to put together the missing pieces of the puzzle. We're looking for tapes. Uh, We know that these tapes are two inch multitracks. We know, sometimes we know the dates, uh, the year that we know the studio The producer. So we use all of these different elements that they can put together a story. And then one of the most common difficulties is having track titles under different, uh, under working titles. It could be that a song uh, until the very last minute had a different title. All this time you're looking for track number eight. And, and you cannot find it, and you have uh, the rest of the tracks of the album, and 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 then you have a song title that doesn't match anything, and uh, and then, of course, maybe the tape hasn't been digitized yet. That's that's why you cannot uh, go. Uh, the engineers are still working on it, or or you're not sure if this tape is going to solve your problem. So that's which is why you haven't called it up from the vault. We had this issue with uh, Lexicon of Love. Actually, there was a song that was particularly difficult to find and it was because it had a working title i, I don't remember exactly what was that title but it had a working title so every tape i looked at it just had that song title working title and at some point we've, we've tried all kinds of tapes steven wilson i mean he's patient <laughs> he's so patient uh because i yeah, I, I kept sending him audio, and uh, he would listen to it patiently and say, "No, this is not it," or "Okay, yes, this is this is good. We, we've got this missing keyboard part from that song or whatever." And uh, in the end, I, there was just a, a couple of tapes that had this track title that didn't match, didn't fit any other uh, any other uh, album. Didn't it just was and, and we transferred the tapes and we listened to it, and it was the track we were looking for. And that's, that's happened before. That's not uncommon. I would say that's the most common difficulty. Now, as far as tapes missing, yes, this is something we've encountered. And it's just uh, persistence. I, I have no other explanation, uh, intellectual explanation to give. It's just persistence, trying different things, different, just keep digging.
4: I would be thrilled to hear Mama. I mean, I did exactly the same after hearing The Big Express, an album that I didn't really count, you know, amongst my the classics, um, that has become one. Uh, and I kind of was really keen to hear Mama again because that's another album that I was never 100% about. The album, there's, you know, obviously everyone has a favourite, but my gateway experience and the one that I adored most is The English Settlement. And I know that's one of the other albums that, you know, fans would you know, would chastise us if we didn't mention. And I've read somewhere on that internet about how it's particular singles, you know, a lot of the multi-tracks have been found for the album tracks for the English Settlement, but that singles have, you know, and I think happened with Life Begins at the Hop, on drums and wires as well. And I just wondered if there was a reason, you think, from a systematic reason or system reason, why singles might be stored or tracks for singles might be stored in different places or makes them harder to track down?
3: Um, No, not particularly. Um, Usually what happens is maybe a single was, because it's a single, it's been remixed uh, later in the years for example shout by tears for fears a uh, huge a huge single later in the 90s uh, let's say someone attempted to uh, remix it and they would go by, they would need the multitracks right so someone would uh, with my job would need to pull the just the, just the multitracks for shout uh, from the archive uh, take them to a studio where this particular remixer is working uh, transfer the tapes and then the tapes, uh, the, the remixer uh, would work with the, the, the audio and then the tapes would have to go back. So in that sense, the, the tapes that contain the singles are a lot more popular, let's say, to use that term, uh, which could potentially lead to either them being placed in a different, I'm not going to say lost, because... They would always uh, yeah they would go i think they would go back to the vault eventually um although the studios do tend to keep the tapes longer than than they a lot of studios also have a, a tape facility tape storage so um maybe they would uh keep the tapes there for some time and it would be quite a, a long time until they return them or i <sighs> It's so random that there isn't a particular explanation to that John but studios have tape storage units and you know 20 years ago or 30 years ago or more no one was particularly interested for the multitracks all that the, the all that was needed was the final mastered mixed album right that's what we need we need to get the vinyl pressed we need to get the cd pressed we, we we don't care so much as to which take of this song ended up on the final album because no one's going to need this piece of information in the future. Lo and behold, twenty years later or thirty years later, we need we have a we have a multi-track tape. It has five takes of the same song, and unfortunately, there's no information on the box—a circle marked as master or whatever so we'll have to transfer the tape and the remix the atmos remixing engineer we need to listen to it and and find out which one ended up being the take
0: and you mentioned before that idea of having found the thing that you're looking for you're then additionally finding the the, the thing with the very best audio quality in the case of of um science fiction and and the 3D ep for example and and for the the Big Express. Did you find yourself with a choice in those cases? Did whether was there a, like an inferior version of of those, uh, as well as a superior version?
3: Generally speaking, you'd have let's say uh, the original master tape, a quarter-inch stereo master tape from '78, and then maybe in the '80s they they made a copy. Uh, for some reason, they needed to send that copy to a different territory, or it was just. Um, Decided that we need a copy or to preserve the, just the safety, really. So, yes, it, it is possible you have alternatives. I, I try, I do my best to go, always go back to the, the most original, the most authentic source. If for some reason that's not available, then the next best source. That, that's my approach. I Believe me, I want the, the cat to sound as good as possible. <laughs> you know as a, as a fan myself, I look at um different reissues of vinyl and i i think, well is this cut gonna sound better than that, or wh- wh- which one is i i can't buy both <laughs> so
0: yeah, I can see that and i'm wondering what is your assessment of the x e c song x e c albums that haven't been found yet you know do do you think they are out there?
3: Universal Music has a very big archive and a lot of the songs that from those albums are available but it takes time to, to, as I said, to pick, take this project on and, and dig deep and, and get the tapes transferred and it, it is possible. It's just uh, a matter of, of getting to it and to have a, a label that is interested in releasing it and, and everything related to it and and I'm, I'm uh, just like with many other bands, I'm sure there are tapes that are out there somewhere uh, in a private collection and someone has them, or maybe they don't even know they have them. They have them in storage, which is even worse. Uh, it, it is possible. It's just, uh, I think eventually we, we will get to it. It, it will be, uh, it will be done it's just a matter
0: of time there's another question I think you alluded it to it earlier which is that you could technically find the uh, recordings but then you realize that they were recorded on a technology that doesn't exist anymore or that there's uh, you know that is not compatible with with modern technology or whatever is, is that a uh, and, and I think I think, John, am I right? That's the case with Apple Venus that there's a particular way it was recorded that makes it harder to deal with. Yeah,
4: I think it was recorded digitally using a, a, some kind of tech in the '90s that is now no longer accessible, or the software no longer exists. So it's it's there, but it's out of reach, is my understanding.
0: And is that your experience as well, Jason? Yes, that unfortunately there are a few formats,
3: analog tape formats, that um, and digital like the 2004 Pro Tools version. But, but going back to the tapes, uh, yes, there were uh, certain obscure tape formats that for some reason the technology didn't catch on, didn't become popular. And the playback machines for those tapes, um, as the tapes st- slowly started dying, the, the, the playback machines went with them. And it's, it's really difficult to find playback machines. Uh, that would uh, are in working order. Having said that, these are mm, quite few cases. It's a minority. The majority of the tapes and, and the technology used, the tapes are still available to this day. The playback machines are working like 2-inch, dash from the 9-dash digital multitracks, 4-track, 8-track, 16-track. Uh, we're lucky. I mean, in London... We're lucky in a sense that we we have all these not only experts. Uh, there's a lot of expertise out there, but there's also it's just equipment. Is is because of London being a music hub? Uh, that's where the studios are. That's where you have a lot of transferring facilities. It it is an issue. I'm not sure exactly what the format that album uh, is on. I, I need I I wouldn't mind looking into it actually because it sounds interesting. But I haven't had that with uh, any of the XTC tapes I've worked on so far. It was 80s, so 80s, 70s. That's all analog, straightforward analog tape.
4: Apple Venus was on a different label. It wasn't on Virgin. So you know, it, might, it might fall outside of your, you know, your, your remit. Uh, I think it was on an indie label. Can't remember quite which one, but it was on an indie label. I mean, it, it's a stu- I mean, I'm sure you know it, Jason. But like, I mean, it's a stunning record, and in surround, "River of Orchids" would just be magnificent. I mean, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you, it would be a work of pure beauty.
3: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, again, that, that's where a budget comes into place. If someone is is willing to to, to do it, there are people out there. Uh, I mean, worldwide, that someone somewhere has a working audio station without setup i'm sure
4: i mean that's one of the things steven always says when he's interviewed um you know there's albums out there but we need to demonstrate that there's a market and an opportunity who of an audience who are willing to buy and and i guess the, the joy of XTC's community is there's enough of us to make it financially worthwhile to do that research and to do all the hours and you know the hours of time that required uh, the uh, the label it's on his cooking vinyl i remember it popped into my head so yeah yeah yep,
3: yeah the budget always comes into place unfortunately or unfortunately it's um it's it's just one of those things that uh the funding to to get a project going uh is, someone needs to, to to calculate if it's recoupable or it's um yeah
0: uh, jason i'm i'm i don't know which other xdc material you've worked on have you worked on more than the big express and 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 the new 3 dp
3: not as far as i can remember no i don't think so i think these are the the only ones i've worked on
0: so that means there's somebody else doing a similar sort of job who must have dug out the previous ones
3: i think so it must have been whoever had my job in 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 virgin emi which uh which is still part of universal but they are as i said each label had a, a has a separate archive, as in not location physically, but whoever was working at at that specific uh, catalog must have received the request, which I think must have been 2014, that the the, uh, 18, 14, I joined January of 18, so it was before my time.
4: The reissue series, I think, began at the early 2010s, didn't it, 2012, 2013, with non-such, and then worked forward. I mean, one of the questions at the playback um, that I wish I'd asked Stephen, and I think maybe someone did was that, you, know, um, all the previous surround sound um, remixes were in 5.1. And so somewhere there's a setup on 5.1. So, you know, is there a likelihood, is there a possibility that, you know, if he had time in his his busy, busy schedule, you know, would the potential to remix again into Dolby Atmos, you know, take, I mean, and, you know, I I think certainly speaking for myself, I mean, I'd be like jukes, jukes, believe me the jukes, you know, because that one would just be amazing. But anyway, I'm, I'm assuming that's a question for Stephen if there's ever an
0: opportunity. A related question I'm thinking of the same as similar sort of lines is uh, what you were saying, Jason, earlier about about sort of uh, transferring things onto digital uh, in modern formats. Is, is there a sense of your work um, that you're future proofing it, you're making it? Uh, you're, you're transferring these things in a way that can be used for f- by future generations in a more uh, reliable way than, than degrading tape.
3: Yeah, I, 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 um, just an example. Uh, just a few days ago, the engineer of a very popular band, uh, English band from the um, 80s, they still perform. They needed stems for a song that was recorded in the 80s for their shows. And he said, uh, oh, can you please send me the stems for this song? I said, okay, yeah, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll look for the tapes, you know, the song, the, the get the tapes, get them transferred, send you the... And say, oh, I thought everything was transferred already. And that's a very common misconception in this day and age where, you know, we're, we're kind of, there's streaming, there's all kinds of digital systems. It's easy to assume that... Even those early stages of production, they exist ready to go, which is not the case. We have to go back and and find something and, and get it transferred it, it's a it's it's a process it, it's a procedure it needs to it takes time. I wish there was enough time and enough resources to to, to get everything done proactively uh, and we, we try to do that as much as possible, but uh, we do operate on a on an on-demand level as well. The proactive approach is very much related to what you asked, Mark, about the future generations and maybe some other form of technology will will come forward and they would need a specific part of the recording and maybe it's there, maybe it's not there. It's definitely an idea for someone to struggle with, especially if they're big fans. It's just, again, it it comes down to... um, Trying to 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 preserve as much as possible, really right. proactively, and an important recording, any important recordings, and again, twenty years ago, that's not too long ago. No one thought that one day we're gonna need the multitracks for an album, right? Let alone forty or, or, or fifty years ago. So who knows what's gonna happen in the future? I just hope that there's you know equipment, technology, people around to get what's needed done to to do what what is required
0: yeah it's making me think of archaeologists and like modern day archaeologists will I guess they'll be sympathetic but they'll also condemn pre- previous generations of archaeologists because you know with all goodwill in the world they were collecting these artifacts from the pyramids or whatever it might have been and, and not uh, and preserve them in a sort of way that can then damage them or or same with painting restoration you know they've put on a a glossy sheen or something that then da- eventually damages the the, uh, the painting and the and the danger i suppose of what you're doing is it is that you could theoretically uh make it harder for somebody in the future and ideally you'd want to make it better for somebody in the future i think
3: stephen wilson d- described it in a very beautiful way when he is uh, remixing something he um he's not gonna step in like the big express uh He's not going to change how the snare sounds or how the guitar sounds. It's more about preserving the, the the original and then letting it, unfolding it in a different way. If I can use this metaphor to apply it to what I do, uh, we're just trying to preserve and archive and, and uh, create digital versions of assets that can be used in the future in the highest poss- possible quality. It has gotten significantly better every as technology is improving we we use different systems and different storage digital storage systems and 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 metadata um, The stuff you can do these days is 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 crazy it's uh, there's so much opportunity and so much potential that it's getting better and better that's all I can say
1: you know?
0: and I imagine one of the most satisfying aspects of your job is as you've described that sense of uh, you know you're there at, a, at the earliest part of the process, but then you get to hear the Stephen Wilson remix or whatever it is, and 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 you can feel that that you are a part of that, and that's very that must be great, it give you a great sense of pleasure and achievement.
3: Oh, it's it's a beautiful feeling, Mark. It's um it's it's just a way to connect. You know, it's just you get to reconnect with your favorite, with uh, with an album that you really like your favorite or even if it's not your favorite, it's your new favorite. It's become your favorite. Um, you had no idea. Maybe it's something I've maybe it's an artist I've never worked on before. And I've only discovered it through work. Uh or an album I did not know before. And it's and, and then you get to um maybe if it's a if it's a new album you get to see the CD artist perform or maybe they'll go out on tour and do an album from the eighties, they'll do it to the Plato again, and it's a nostalgia thing, which I'm also a big fan of. And it's it's what a great way, what a great experience. It's um, yeah, couldn't be
4: happier. I, I'm incredibly grateful for your role in producing, you know, some of this music. But I'm also thinking of all of the other archivists back in time you know how grateful we must be to them for having systems and you know storing and coding and using the barcodes and the cards and the stamps and how that's all come through it's a whole you know lineage a whole legacy really
3: it it really is i'm glad you you've mentioned uh, that and and them and and for the archivists to come in the future digital or in whatever format uh, it's going to be used it's something that like that engineer who thought everything is already digitized uh no it's it's there is a person somewhere that they're gonna have to look for that that tape or that film can maybe it's a it's a 4k restoration of a very popular video or maybe it's it's an atmos project maybe it's just a very very unknown artist and and who has passed on and there's Relatives that are still alive, and they would like to have the 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 rights have reverted, and they would like to have some of his recordings. Archivists back then, now, and in the future, uh, we speak your name.
0: (laughs) That is a lovely way to finish, isn't it? Because as Jason thanks archivists of the past, we can thank Jason um, as an archivist of the present and the future, I suppose as well. So thank you very much. That's been a really fascinating insight into a world that, as we what, what you were saying at the start that people don't know about and uh, it's really a fascinating insight to be able to see that so thank you very much jason and to john as well thank you thank you
3: thank you both thank you for having me pleasure you're welcome yeah.
0: what
1: do you call that noise
0: a big thank you to Todd Bernhardt, Jason Rapantis, and John Jacks for being such great company this month, and also to Michael Casey for the music. And thank you once again to everyone who has supported the podcast on Patreon, who you can join at patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher. Thanks in particular to the following Nights in Shining Karma. Terry Arnott, Kevin Burt, Lorenzo Charchi, Cale Corbett, Liam Duggan, Jamie Dunn, Jeff Farris, Evan Fish, Leslie Gooch, Mike Grafe, Robert Graham, Camille Henry, Stephen Hope, Alan Hughes, Merrick Krauss, Jesper Kumberg, Robert Lawlor, Liz Lynch, Murray Meikle, Yusuf Murrah, Jeff Nicholson, Amy Parkinson, Mark Reed, James Reimer, Michael Sutcliffe, Steve Swift, Mark Thomas, Nigel Waller, John Wedemeyer, Martin Whitley. And that's all for now. See you next time.